Welcome to Mysterious World with Pablo Amira and Stuart Palm. Join us as we connect across time and space, exploring the mysteries of our world and your world. Welcome to episode two of Mysterious World. I'm here with Pablo. Pablo, it uh, is midnight for you, yes? Yes, exactly. And it is 11.17 a.m. here in Hong Kong. We ended the last show talking about um, shamans and, and, and indigenous cultures that have magic. And I believe you mentioned uh, the mache as a... Chilean version of that. Can you tell us a bit about who they are and what they believe and, and your knowledge of, of their work. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of the word that you said. It's not macha, it's machi. Machi. And, yeah, machi. And um, it's not per se a Chilean uh, shaman or, or witch. Rather, it's the, the the healer of one of the cultures, main cultures, uh, original cultures in Chile, that are Mapuches. In the, in, in the original history of my country, uh, we can search for a lot of different cultures, but the most important, the most structured is the Mapuche. And so I Mapuche believe... is the name of the culture? Yeah, yeah. Is it yeah. like a tribal name? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and and in the language of Mapuche, that word means people from the earth. So cool. the, the, the same name tells you that they have great connection with nature. Right. So, well, Machi is, uh, as, as I said in the first episode, is the, um, the person responsible to tell stories about the past about the ancestors of the culture to, to pass the stories to new generations and also has the responsibility to keep the spirituality and keep alive the traditions of the Mapuche culture and also has the responsibility of um, manage in a manner uh, to handle the, the spiritual issues in Mapuche and they... Wait. Um, when you say Sorry? spiritual, the spiritual can mean yeah. a lot of things. But in the case yeah. of this tribe, uh, does spiritual mean uh, connection with the gods, or are we do, uh, connecting with ancestors? Both. Because Both. Okay. They, yeah, because they have a, a very um, big and, and high cosmovision about the world in which, right. as you said, they integrate ancestors as a very important part, but also gods. They okay. are polytheist. So, so the machi has all that responsibilities. And, and maybe I told you that, that I met a machi uh, yeah. some years ago. Yeah. yeah and I, it was a beautiful experience. I, it was not like a, a miracles moment and she, she didn't heal me, no, nothing like that. But uh, we, we talked a little bit and she told me that when she was a child, she has a... Um, uh, the call, the, the gift, mm -hmm. and she need to work it to 
to prepare herself as an adult match. And it's very, very powerful and very interesting how, in a manner, the, the role and the destiny of that person is already traced. And, and she knew from the beginning of, his, of her life that she will be a match. And, and she did it. Nice. Yeah. And what was her role as a modern mache? Was it, <clears throat> excuse me, is it changed much over time or is it sort of the same thing the tradition has always been? No, no, it's not the same because obviously the culture of, of Mapuche and Chilean, uh, natural Chilean persons uh, are mixed together now. They almost uh, are disappeared in, in a natural yeah. traditional manner. And also because uh, different religion, religions, different Christians' perspectives, and uh, a lot of different matches uh, can't uh, uh, take their responsibility in the traditional manner. Right. So, so they, they they offer service for healing with different herbs, with different rituals, but right. not as much as the original tradition, of course. Yeah, that that's too bad. Um, yeah, it's good to hopefully they the the traditions that they have can stay alive through some sort of um, oral uh, communication, keeping it alive. Yeah. Although uh, at the same time, I that I I am saddened when I see an indigenous culture and spirituality uh, get ruined by Christianity taking over the culture. Some interesting things happen when they merge together. If you look at uh, like Mexico, for instance, where where there's a strong Catholic culture, yet yeah. they've preserved some of the tribal uh, history and some of the older beliefs uh, in like uh, Dios del Muerte. Muerte. My Spanish is terrible. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, and yeah, uh, um, some of the visuals that come out of that, the the art is very strong and, and vibrant and exciting. And uh, I like where where what people do is instead of taking on, uh, for example, Christianity wholeheartedly, they just take the beliefs that they have and kind of add a Christian spin on it, which I think is what most of the successful religions in the world have been most of the successful religions in the world have been religions that allow people to keep what their traditional beliefs are and just kind of framework it into whatever that other religion is yeah yeah and, and in chile that happens also in a north uh, region of chile a north place uh -huh. um, we, we have a, a celebration one time of, of a year when it's very similar, uh, all, all the, the city uh, starts to celebrate and they place different masks and different costumes. And it's a Christian celebration, but, but it's very uh, interesting in how the syncretism about uh, traditional uh, concepts of, of dancing and, and rituals that obviously are not Christian right. in the origin. Uh, mixed with with the the visuals of Christ and the the Mary the Mother, you know, and different yeah. aspects of the Christianity. Cool. I've read with uh, a, a long time ago. I read a, a book that had an interesting idea. Uh, it was a study of um, 
relationships to nature and their connection to um, people's beliefs in gods. And uh, the study looked at cultures that had been, uh, I'm trying to think of the, what is the, what do they call it whenever uh, Christians come in and go, Christianity, Christianity, and convert everybody? Uh, evangelism. An interesting thing that they found was that it was hard for them to communicate the concept yeah. of monotheism, of one God, to these people because they saw so many things. Uh, and their perception of reality is, uh, of course, there's many gods. There's the sea, and there's something controlling that, and there's plant life there's something controlling that and there's storms there's there's these many different energies in the world of course there's multiple gods but once they taught them to read uh, uh, and write so once they taught them language in a written form the concept of one god in the sort of judeo-christian tradition became uh, something they could access because here you have a thing that exists outside of your head, but is a mind outside of your mind, if that makes any sense. So the idea of trend of communicating with a book suddenly made it make sense to have one all powerful God. So if we didn't have written language, we may not have monotheism. It may have grown out of uh, writing. Very sort of the yeah. idea of that one. Do what you do have you any knowledge about the the shamans and witch in your place, Hong Kong? The shamans of Hong Kong. Well, um, there are many different things happening here um, in that in that kind of world. I, there's no there's no shamans that are that you would say this is the shaman. There are monks around. You can find Shaolin monks here and there. Uh, there's there's a guy who I don't know if he's doing it anymore, but he used to be performing um, in sort of a street area, and he was a Shaolin monk, and he did what I would describe to a Westerner as a sideshow act, but he was great. He would uh, he would take a big metal rebar a piece of metal, and he'd get three big strong men and have them hold it, and he'd put it against his chest right on his neck. So right in that soft part of his neck. And he would put his arms out straight so that you could see that he was only holding it against his neck. And he'd have all three men push on it and he would bend it. You know, they would bend the metal with their force wow. against his neck. And uh, you could actually see this, you know, spot on his neck where he'd done this hundreds of times. Um, he would, uh, you know, break uh, bricks with his hand. He, he would, uh, he had a... Sort of bed of nails type thing that he that he showed, and it was showing endurance. He was showing skill. I mean, he did some amazing, uh, I guess what you would call katas in martial arts. He did some some sort of amazing uh, dances of martial arts. And um, what else did he do? He did a lot of cool stuff. And then at the end, he would sit down and meditate, and he put out a bag, and his bag would be full of prayer beads and you could come and you could give a donation to the to him and uh, take beads he would not accept money without an exchange um and he had cards that talked about 
the Shaolin monks and training to be a monk and that kind of stuff. It was cool. He was cool. I wouldn't call him a shaman, though. <clears throat> In China, there are people who are uh, people with powers, like superpower people. And you hear about them. <laughs> I've not met one yet. Um, but I have uh, relatives of my wife have told me stories about meeting them. And uh, they are kind of, when whoever these people are, uh, the government, I think, hires them or celebrates them as sort of treasures of China. So you have people wow. who have special powers of some form um, who are sort of heralded as treasures of China. And and I've heard of people meeting them at like uh, state events. It's, and to me, it sounds a lot like meeting a magician at a party. But um, there... <laughs> There's a whole different construct going on in their heads of what's going, of who they are. And, and, uh, the story that I, I've been told that fascinated me was, um, a group that met them. Uh, and, and there was somebody in the group that was skeptical about his abilities and, um, challenged him and said, okay, well, can you do something to my watch? Right. And if you imagined a magician in this situation, it's like, oh, what's going to happen now? So the outcome is that he holds the watch in his hands and he give it back to the guy and uh, nothing happened at, but, uh, in the beginning. And then the, came back to the guy later and he said, how is your watch now? And he looked at the watch and the watch has stopped. And so he causes the watch to stop. That's, the, uh, that's what he did. He held it between his hands. He focused on it and the, the watch stopped. But then the story goes further in that the guy to get his watch starting again couldn't do it. And he took it to his watch repairman and the watch repairman. No, no, no. It's not repairable. The insides are, are completely uh, smashed, like wow. mashed up. So whatever he did caused the inside workings of the watch to be completely destroyed. Um, and that's a mystery. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and, uh, the way that the story is told is like, he's going to, you know, you don't know what he's going to do. He might mash your watch up. So, uh, but this again, not shaman. This is just strange occurrences in, in, in Hong Kong and China there. Everyone here seems to have a cousin who can see dead people. <laughs> just a cousin. <laughs> yeah, it's never like my brother. It's never I can. Yeah, yeah. It's generally never, never I have this cousin <laughs> who can see dead people. Um, and and the way that that generally exists in the culture is that there are certain people that see dead people. And it's not like if they focus on it, like a medium has to concentrate or something. They just see them all the time, which must be well, really frustrating. Um, disturbing. Th there are temples all over Hong Kong. And there are uh, generally fortune tellers in the temples who will read your future or your your personality. They they do palm reading. They do face reading. The the closest thing in the culture to a shaman that exists readily is probably the feng shui master. And there are many feng shui masters, and they're often very controversial because very wealthy people will hire a feng shui master when they build a building or something. And the feng shui masters will tell them that they need to have 
an entrance facing a certain direction and the buildings need to be oriented in a certain way. Uh, and it's a long, long, long tradition of feng shui uh, that goes way beyond what the Western conception of it is. The Western conception is basically interior decoration. Um, yeah. But the the true feng shui uh, involves astrology and involves your personality, but it's based on thousands of years of tradition as to what's effective for people. I mean, they, they, and there's some really smart, good ideas coming out of it. However, there are also feng shui masters who <clears throat> have been in the news for taking advantage and, you know, things like saying, if you want to be prosperous, you have to put a million dollars in the base of your building. And they look later when that million dollars is somehow gone, you know, so these things happen. Yeah. Um, but studying, I have actually a friend whose father is a feng shui master and she's now a feng shui master. Um, and, and she's sort of a fascinating person and. There are a whole lot of books that she has to study to be uh, become the feng shui master, and um, her husband has many amazing stories of just her ability from from you know years of studying this and inherent sort of ability and in, in being able to do this. It's a lot like a priest, I think. But. Um, as I understand it, the word shaman is uh, Mongolian. And do you know the meaning? Uh, not offhand, no. Do you? No, no, no. But interesting <laughs> to know that comes from from there. I, th and I... Do you know that that an interesting concept that that we can discuss or for other episode maybe is the concept of sacred clown. Have you heard that? Yes. Uh, my favorite sacred clown is the Hopi Indian clown. Uh, do you know the, the is another Pueblo Indian? I really like the Pueblo Indians, apparently. Um, <laughs> but yes, go on with the sacred clown. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting concept to to link about this shaman, because in a manner the the person that you describe when doing supernatural things for. In a manner of entertainment, right, and in a manner to to impress others with their their abilities, there's a connection with the sacred clown, and and the, maybe the inner inner necessity to all societies and of course our modern society to to receive um, an entertainment and a strange experience that obviously has some mystery. Because sacred clowns are normally very extravagant, you know, and very, very strange in, in looking to to fulfill some necessities of of humans. Right. <laughs> I remember reading a really good article on uh, sacred clowns. I looked it up. Shaman uh, is a person who acts as intermediary between the natural and supernatural worlds using magic to cure illness, foretell the future, control spiritual forces, etc. That is the uh, dictionary.com, dictionary.reference.com um, definition for shaman. Or shaman, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> or, or shaman. If, if shaman. I like shaman. that. I like that C-H, uh, shaman. Shaman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mach Mapuche is that what the is that Mapuche. correct? Right. Okay. Cool. The pronunciation. <laughs> I'll slowly get it. 
<laughs> so basically anybody who connects to spiritual side of things can be called a shaman. But in the tradition of shamanism, uh, one does not call oneself a shaman. That would just be too big-headed. Yeah. Normally, I think that you need to have a, a call, a, a, fa a familiar gift gave to, to generations. Yeah. There are and, a few different beliefs into how one becomes a shaman. Uh, yeah. One is through mentorship. You have a guide, and you study and you learn. Um, you, you, in any of these, you are called to it. And, uh, if you study Christianity, the older traditions of Christianity, um, such as Episcopalians and Catholicism, priests are also called to being a priest. You need to reflect yeah. on how you've been called. And if you've not, if the, they don't believe that you've been called, they will not allow you to be a priest. Um, yeah. So shamans, the if you're not, um, you can become a shaman through experience rather than mentorship. And I think it's like you have to, or you generally have been on the edge of death three times when the shamans have these stories of being on the edge of death a few times. Which wow. is why when I'm performing, I... I, I begin the story with when I had brain surgery, the sort of death experience communicates that idea to people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you have a very strong experience in that moment? Oh yeah. Do you, do you remember like, like a real situation? Yes, I do. Wow. Wow. What a, what a mystery. My mother also has a, an, uh, an out of body experience mixed with, with that type when she has my first sister, my older sister. Wow. She, she felt her spirit rise from their body. Uh, and she, she looked down, she looked her body. And then like two seconds after that, she, she felt like a vacuum. Oh, like a, yes. Sucked like back suction. in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she came back to the, her body. My understanding of it, that suction is fear. Yeah, sure, because you can you can see your body better below you. Um, yes, I think that's amazing. Uh, I've actually had, and in, in, this is one of those situations where um, I can tell the story and say, this is what I remember. But my understanding of memory um, makes me have to put the caveat, this is what I remember remembering. I don't know what the truth is anymore because it was a personal experience that happened to me alone. So it's my own perception of reality and my own ability to blur the memories make me question this actually happened. But when I was, uh, maybe 10 to 12 years old, somewhere in there, my aunt, uh, who was quite a uh, sort of hippie type, gave me a book on astral projection, a book on out of body experiences. And it gave sort of a process to go through. <clears throat> And uh, so I, I practiced this a lot because I, I read the story of getting out of body and, and I was like, that's fascinating. I want to do that. And I did pretty much like you just described it. There was one time where I was in this meditative state and I've relaxed and it was the most relaxed version of it. I think the problem I had been having and achieving this is that I'd been trying too hard. Exactly. And then at one point... I sort of had an experience where I was seeing myself rise 
well, not rise. I was seeing myself as I rose out of myself. And, uh, and then I got really excited. And then there was like a freaky moment where I was like, what the hell? And then the sort of vacuum feeling. And then I was back in myself. Now that's what I remember, but people tell the story like this. And so I don't know if I had put myself because I, I, I now understand that these things can happen in hypnosis. I don't know if that something happened or if I put myself in such a deep hypnotic state that I had a, a hallucination that I created. And there is no way to know. But I do know this. I have tried it at different times in my life since then. And I have not been successful. I have not been able to get back to that state. I have been able to get to a hallucinatory meditative state that I would call sort of uh, somnambulistic or rim sleep while waking. And I understand that that is but it might be my perceptual understanding of it that makes it seem that way to me. So I don't know which is real. I can't, I can't tell that which is real, which is, I think true along many of these experiences and mysteries is that the story becomes more powerful than the reality. Almost always that story is far, far, far bigger and impressive than the reality, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe oh. your own knowledge in this experience is blocking you to have a quote-unquote real experience, maybe. Well, there is no fake experience. Yeah, exactly. Everything is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as Anthony Jacquin has written, reality is plastic. <laughs> I think it is time for the mystery of the week. Mystery of the week. The mystery of the week. This week, um, Stephen Hawking believes he's solved a huge mystery about black holes. That, that was a um, article in the Washington Post, but also came through in my mystery Google alert uh, and we talked about it. You had also seen the same article, so it's gone worldwide. It's been well pr pronounced, and I think it's funny because I don't think anybody understands it. So, <laughs> what do we know about black yeah. holes? Nothing. What do we What then, do we think we know about black holes? Lots of stuff. Yeah, Why two, do we think we things. know about black holes? T movies. I think mostly yeah. our experience of black holes is an interesting concept. I think it will always be an interesting concept as a mystery. I think it's a very strong mystery. Yeah, I, I know two things. One, they are black, and two, they are holes. But are they holes? <laughs> Maybe not. I, I mean, I is there a hole in space? Is that possible? <laughs> Maybe it's a door to a parallel universe. Well, that's what uh, that's what Hawking says. And... Yeah, and I believe him. He, he knows his stuff. Exactly. Of course. He is the smartest man in the world. W who's going to not believe him? Yeah. I'm looking for that quote where he says of what um, he believes a black hole to be possibly a door to another dimension. Apparently, the uh, article that I brought up is a shorter version than I read before. Okay, so um, I, I will just go away from that anyway. <clears throat> so, 
the conversation that Hawking was having um, with the world, apparently, is the impossibility of the belief about a black hole creating uh, or destroying information because the general understanding is that matter and energy can neither be created or destroyed. It's a constant in the universe. Yeah. So it's not possible for things to go into a black hole and become not things. And which he says that he's solved this problem because the matter and whatever goes into the black hole becomes a two dimensional holograph on the surface or event horizon of the black hole, which sounds fascinating. That sounds poetic. It is poetic. And I don't understand it, but I, I don't think I will ever understand it. Yeah, but 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 we can try to do it and try to think about it and see how beautiful and mysterious our, our universe is, right? I agree. How how many things that we don't have right now near us, but they exist. Um, they can be maybe a door to a new, complete different universe, or maybe not, maybe a parallel universe where Another Stuart Pound exists. Another Pablo Miraxis. Yeah, thousands. There's thousands of us. Here's the quote. The information is stored in a super translation of the horizon that the ingoing particles from the source star cause. I feel very profound now that I've said that. (laughs) You feel very scientific. Yes, I do. The information about ingoing particles is returned but in a chaotic and useless form for all practical purposes, the info is lost. So basically he's taken a concept and he's put a different use of language on it, uh, on a different model of what might be happening to make it jive better with our understanding and our rules that we've applied to the universe. Although here's the thing. I mean, it makes an article, it makes a, a splash of a headline I think Stephen Hawking can say whatever the hell he wants about the universe and everybody's going to go, that's amazing because only what 10 people understand on a level where they can actually test this information. And it's a, it's a theory anyway, just the big bang is still a theory. We have, there's no way we don't know that that's happened. It, It, our model of the universe is very limited even though we have giant telescopes in space we are still limited by what those telescopes can see and our own position in understanding them so there is no way to know what the beginning was and i question that anyway i i do not believe there's a beginning of the universe that's ridiculous what what do you believe about that i'm sorry what do you believe about that concept of the beginning of the universe oh uh you mean the Big Bang? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe there is no beginning of the universe. <laughs> That's what I believe. Can you explain a little more? <laughs> no, it's Why? actually... Uh, keeping it simple is the easiest way to explain what I'm talking about. Uh, there is no beginning. Period. Full stop. Reason being, there is no possibility... Because anytime, I mean, and this is sort of something everybody understands, anytime you have something that starts, there is a time before the thing that starts. Right? 
Yeah. So the concept of a multiverse, which has been more taken on recently, makes more sense to me in that the expanse of the universe is the expanse and keeps expanding and there's more universe and more universe and more universe. And we can give those models of different things. Maybe they become multiple realities. Maybe they become what we were just talking about where there's other uh, parallel things going on. I doubt that, though. Um, it's it's infinite, so anything we imagine can exist there. And so anything we imagine does exist there. It's everything is everything. Um, all we know is we are here now. I'm here now. You are there now. Pretty amazing that you're on the other side of the planet and we're talking. Uh, <laughs> that in itself is not worn off on, on me that the, the uh, our ability to communicate on this planet is pretty pretty awesome but um, yeah. I don't I don't think there was a bang and then everything blew out of this condensed situation I I, I understand that we observe that we're all kind of drifting apart um, but we keep reevaluating and understanding more. And as we reevaluate and understand more about how the universe is working, our perception keeps changing. So I can't hold on to any of these concepts as real. Just like I don't completely hold on to my own idea of having an out of body experience. I, I love that I was able to do something, but I don't know what it was for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I see that the model of the, of the big bang is something that they can use, although I have a feeling that in the future we're going to find out, oh, there's a different concept of what happened. So if you believe that there was no beginning, what about the end? Do you think that this will end? No. Because how is that possible? <laughs> Hi. What, well, sorry, what? Just like a blink of an eye. Maybe the Big Bang is the beginning and the Big Ben, I don't know. The Big Smoosh. <laughs> well, uh, that is a very Western way of looking at things, if you think about it. That is a very, uh, that concept jives with people who spend a lot of time with narratives that have beginnings and ends. And uh, books, because you open the book, you read the story and you close the book and there's the end of the book. Well, the universe is not a book. I don't have a model for what it is, but it doesn't yeah. end. It yeah, is an Amobius strip. It keeps going. And, and, yeah, and, and regarding the the black holes and the mysteries of the space that we can't understand. Right, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Imagine if Stephen Hawking and all the giant scientists try to understand it. How can I? How Let me put it this way. This is not the direction I thought this podcast was going to go, but I'm enjoying it. Um, there are things about painting. I've spent a lot of time in my life painting and drawing. There are things about painting and the process of drawing and painting that I cannot communicate to you with words. I can only communicate them to you with painting, right? Does it make sense? Right. There are things about music, and you're more a musician than I am, that I'm sure you can only communicate with music. 
So the only people that are on, that are going to understand what you're saying are people who understand music. And the only people who are going to understand what I'm saying with a painting are people who understand painting. Now, there's another version of understanding, which is listening. You can listen to the music and understand part of what the communication is. And can, something is communicated. You can look at art and understand it. But you'd be different if you knew painting and the communication of painting, right? right. That's why there's things like artists, uh, artist art, art for artists that like really artists love and everybody else looks at it and goes, what? I don't understand. Because they don't speak that language. So, <clears throat> the universe has a level of communica communication that can only be understood by universes. I'm not a universe. There's no way for me to understand that. I don't universe. So, there's... I, I'm not, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with not knowing because it's not possible. Just like... You you uh, perform jazz. There is a level of jazz communication that I don't understand because I can't. Yeah, Unless but, I was but, to spend the next ten years performing jazz. Yeah, but at the same time, using that same metaphor, uh, whenever I am playing jazz, although I have a, a higher level of communication, I also have a lower level of communication because I try to connect with everyone, and I need to understand that. Not everyone understands jazz in a higher level of understanding. So maybe my message, my effort to communicate has various levels, not just uh, a high level, but also I try to uh, approach the, the, the ones who doesn't know in a more emotional level. So they sure. maybe it's not knowledge, but rather an emotion, a feeling. Well, I think in that sense, we're getting to some of the keys of the importance of mystery in that through something mysterious and something we cannot understand completely or uh, communicate through words, we are still communicating profoundly to the unconscious. And, yeah. and that's why mystery and the communication through mystery is important because there are certain things that can only be communicated in that way and it does actually have a purpose and it has a value in our lives in our society I, I agree yeah and maybe we, we can understand everything at the present moment but we can receive maybe not understand but maybe we, we can receive a little bit of that knowledge and from that we can work and we can find motivation to explore the mystery in a deeper level sure yeah because it's, if it's completely understood it's not a mystery <laughs> exactly yeah exactly uh, that, that brings to mind um, when when people talk about uh, things that are magical or when people talk about uh, supernatural experiences. It's always funny to me because they start to try to explain them. And, yeah. <clears throat> and often they try to explain um, what it could be in terms of 
the reality that they accept. And as soon as yeah. it's explained, as soon as it's understood, it no longer is supernatural. It's natural. Exactly. So the concept of supernatural is a concept of mystery. And anything that we see that we don't have the ability to explain, it becomes supernatural. But in our concept of reality, supernatural is not possible. Yeah. Because yeah. everything is natural. We, there is nothing yeah. that happens that can't happen. Exactly. And for a moment, we are escaping for our reality when we approach a mystery. I agree. Because I'm worried. Are... Yeah, I'm worried now we're going to start losing our audience here. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't want to get too off down the rabbit hole here. Um, although, if you're listening to this and you enjoy our down the rabbit holeness and you want us to go further, let us know because uh, I'm happy to, to go there. Uh, I just don't want to get too meta. Maybe we can come back about the black hole. Uh, yeah, well, I, it's intriguing. It's an intriguing mystery. The black holes are an intriguing mystery. Black holes are an intriguing idea. I remember seeing them in movies when I was a kid, and uh, somebody would go into a black hole, and they would slowly uh, be younger. They'd turn old quickly, and they'd come back, and they'd be in a different timeline than the other people. And Interstellar recently did the same thing. They had uh, multiple timelines and experiences of time that were affected by being on the event horizon of a black hole. Um, so they're great for movies. Yeah, but basically, I mean, a black hole is we look out in space and we're like, hey, it's a black hole. What was that? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's interesting to, to think about black holes and time and how we as humans treat time as a linear concept always for the future, not, never for the past, because obviously we can go to the past. But with that concept of black hole, a new idea opens right that maybe time is not completely linear that maybe we can twist it and we can go back or go go forward so in a sense where black holes present to us the possibility of existing in time in in a more in a more open fashion we can travel through time differently yeah yeah in a matter i i I don't know for sure the science, but I, I understand that that it's, it's related with that theories about the time traveling and about twisting the the line of reality. Yeah. Well, yeah, linear reality is our paradox, is being yeah. human. We have a hard time finding our way out of a linear reality. And what do you think about uh, time traveling? Do you think that could be possible oh sure why not <laughs> why not I, I think that that can be possible but it, it can be very disturbing I, I don't know if the I, I read that the that the theory about like the back to the future right the movie sure when, when when the guy went to the past and he met her mother and he, he couldn't and, and, she, and her mother was like a trace of him. Mm -hmm. um, that that thing in in theoretical physics uh, is not real, right? But yeah, but 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 at the same time, I think that it's very disturbing to 
to have in a manner that power to 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 go back and do different things and maybe life is not about time traveling rather just living the present moment well that's the interesting thing we that's that's the hard part about being human as well um is that we have these abilities to remember because uh, while we know that there were things that happened and there are things that have yet to happen, there is a paradox in that understanding as well because there is only now anyway, ever. Yeah. Yeah. So can we travel to what has not happened or can we travel? Well, in a way, yes, because we always are anyway. I'm, I'm in a constantly... I'm constantly in a state of traveling to what has not yet happened. Um, can, but can we travel to what already happened? Well, I don't even think we understand how to tackle thinking about that, let alone getting there. Mm. It's like the the saying, the poetic saying that we try to understand if we will reach life after death. Right. But we really need to try to guess if we can get life before that. <laughs> right. Well, it depends on what you mean by life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. We keep saying things that make me think profoundly and then I have to stop and think. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> this podcast is not about loud music, you know. It's like reflection. It's like uh, sure. thinking. So, so. This silence for me are, are golden. Right. Good point. Thank you for reminding me that, Pablo. I, I hear a, a, a radio program uh, about poetry, about philosophy here in Chile. Uh -huh. And it's beautiful because the, the host, for moments, uh, gets pure silence. And it's very, very interesting. I, I hear it in my car and, or in my Mac. And sometimes the guy just goes silent. <laughs> he, read, he reads a poem and like for a minute, no music background, no nothing. And then he starts to talk. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, actually, that's great. I hadn't thought about it that way. And, and I was, I have been thinking in the model, in my mind, of listening to other podcasts and radio shows where you have to be talking all the time and feeling all the time yeah, with yeah. ideas and things. So there's no blank spaces that people can set and have their own reflections in no, but no. you know what we're lacking in this world in our modern society is moments of acceptable silence we don't have a lot of those anymore so exactly. i think that yeah. is good to give people that yeah. so please enjoy yeah. the silent moments that pablo is allowing us to have <laughs> yeah you know when when i was studying psychology and, and clinical therapy the mm. teacher uh, gives us the real importance of silence sometimes we with your patient whenever he is telling a story or or, or a silence is needed you, you need to control as a, a beautiful type of silence in which you are really connecting with them if you are talking too much if he is talking too much or, or you are just hearing and, and there's not real silence in which you try to connect with with him sure. without words and and I think that is a very profound way to communicate with others. I agree. 
understanding pauses is also uh, important in a yeah. performance or in any sort of oration. Anytime you're speaking to an audience, understanding yeah. and communicating yeah. in a, your in pauses. A, in a theatrical manner, uh, the pauses and silence are very dramatic. Very dramatic. Sure. You can be on a stage, look the whole audience, and believe yourself that you are connecting with them. And they, they can feel it. They can feel it. And one of the most memorable moments on my show and participants and part of the audience told me after the show is when I played the Tibetan bowl. Oh, you do this as well? Yeah, at the beginning. I nice. just let them... It's, it's, it's not like a mystery effect, rather just a moment of relaxation. I, I said to them that I need the their intuitive power, the the psychic abilities that everyone has in, in, in a level or other. Uh, right. Need, need to be in tune, need to be quiet, need to be uh, connected with me. So I just play the, the Tibetan mode for a moment. And and that's a beautiful moment. I agree. No, no, no complete silence because we have the sound, but it's like um, a beautiful sound that allows us to have a silent attitude and maybe um, problems with hackers, you know, and, and problems with the creation of our experiences. We are related to that because we don't allow them to, first of all, to to connect with with us as a as a performer of mystery on a stage. Well, you are because, through the singing bowl, and I I think this singing bowl is great for this. Yeah. And any time yeah, yeah. you are t- totally changing the reality, you're changing the yeah. perceptions, you're changing the atmosphere. Um, yeah. I use one too in my show, and it really focuses people. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful sound. And then after the sound comes a silence. And sure. And it's very real. And, and it's a mystery real without without any theatrical or different type of technique you, you are doing. When you use it, silence. Uh, yeah. in your experience, do people know what it is before you play it? No, no, no. Almost nobody. Yeah, they always think it's a mortar and, mortar and pestle. <laughs> I always ask, does anyone know what this is? And I always get someone who says, yeah, you mash herbs or herbs. <laughs> sure. No, no, no. Some people know it because in my, in my, here in my society, cultural society, more and more oriental traditions about perspectives of religion and and bullions uh, and different things related to that are, are more popular. Right. But but almost nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, for those who are listening and don't know, a singing bowl is like a bell, but it's a bowl. And if you take a... There's a stick you use, and you, you hit the bowl, and it rings like a bell. And if you rub the stick on the edge, it's normally covered in a piece of leather around the edge of the bowl it starts to uh, reverberate like a tuning fork and you keep going and it you kind of get a I'll play one over this part so that yeah, we uh, yeah. so we uh, people understand the sound of it makes and um, it's kind of like an ohm sound like a mantra like a oh and it connects you to a sort of trance state as I understand it that's how it's used often is for meditation yeah yeah and, and do you know that if you place your mouth <laughs> near the the bowl you can create a wah-wah effect like uh, in a guitar. I've never tried that, but I will be doing that yeah. later today now. Yeah, I, I tried it. Not not in my show, of course, because I will kill the mood. But <laughs> maybe after the show, we'll, 
a friend of mine, uh, I placed the mouth near the, the ball and I mm -hmm. played and I say wah, 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 and the sound comes from the mouth inside of my mouth and it sounds very cool. Does it sound cool to other people or just in your own head? No, 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 for others as well. That's great. Did you yeah. know that if you put water in the bowl and play it, the water will jump out? No, no, no. Try that. Even. There's a wonderful thing that I saw in China one time, uh, which was a bowl outside of a restaurant, and it was a very, very old bowl built into some sort of uh, stone entranceway. And the bowl had water in it, and on the edges of the bowl, still it was bronze, uh, there were these sort of two handles. And the handles were very, very shiny bronze. But the rest of the bowl was had a patina. And there was water in the bowl. And uh, I asked the man there what what was the significance of this it looks important it looks old he said oh it's very old it's for washing your face huh. i was like okay uh what do you what do you mean and then he showed me and it was amazing and what would happen is you put your hands on the very worn brass part and you rub your hands back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it creates a vibration in the bowl Wow. Like it would with a singing bowl, and the water shoots up out of the middle and, and washes your face. Wow. Completely by friction and vibration. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I was like, where, where, we need more of these. This is great. We need more of this yeah. thinking. It's, <laughs> there's no battery. There's no energy, but your own in, what you put in, you get out. Direct. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. It's a lesson in itself. I agree. <laughs> it's a metaphor. Today we have a competition, or uh, do we want to call it a competition? Yeah, sure. All right. A cool. mystery competition. <laughs> a mystery competition. Today we want to... Um, offer a prize and we will actually offer two prizes uh, for the two most interesting entries we get and what we're calling for is a story a personal story please send us your personal story of a mystery that happened to you something that you can't explain something mysterious you experienced in your life that uh, you want to share with the world we will pick two of them and read them on the next podcast um, and how you submit uh, is you send them to Mysterious World, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-O-U-S-W-O-R-L-D podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, Mysterious World podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also submit through the website, uh, mysteriousworldpodcast.com, and you can visit us on our Facebook page, Mysterious World Podcast. What you can win is a pendulum created by pablo amira or a deck of uh gnostic playing cards i have a, a deck of playing cards that i designed that are great for doing personal readings and cartomancy and uh, uh why don't you talk a minute about your pendulum pablo yeah i do handcraft pendulums for my clients and i sell them as well for other colleague mentalists and magicians and and also even i have a book so so, but, but I will share for now just a pendulum, a basic pendulum. 
um, a basic instruction in how to use it in normal day life to achieve great mysterious things. Great. And if those that have never used a pendulum, I recommend uh, going and learning about it. It's a fantastic, wonderful, beautiful, mysterious thing. And it's a great way to connect directly to your unconscious mind and understand that that's a thing that you can do. And you don't need to have a fancy pendulum. If you don't win this, all you need to have is a weight on a string. So get a piece of dental floss and tie your ring to it, and you have a pendulum. Um, yeah. We can talk in future episodes about pendulums and our beliefs sure. on them and, and sure. how how they work and such. Send us your email to mysteriousworldpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll know that people actually listen to this and that we're not just talking out into the ether. <laughs> Good point. I listened to a um, a TED Talk earlier this week um, by a guy named Chip Kidd, who's a, an illustrator. Um, he okay. illustrates book covers, uh, the Murakami books he's known for. And um, he broke down all visual communication into clarity or mystery. Oh, so no. that you're either being clear so that you people know what you're you're communicating directly what you're saying or you're being mysterious so they question oh what is he saying and that uh, all all artistic communication can be seen as a uh, a balance of clarity and mystery i thought that was a very nice beautiful. way to think yeah. about art you know maybe that that can lead us to uh, a topic to conversation for future podcasts because uh, some weeks ago, I was studying Hitchcock, and, and he has an interesting view the, about the, the difference about mystery and, and suspense. Sure. Yeah, so maybe we can talk about different persons, artists, and scientists, you know, that, that has views about mystery, and we can talk about it. Sure. Sounds great. Yeah. I love Hitchcock. Yeah. And and movies. I like storytelling. It's all about storytelling. Yeah. So next week, our topic, main topic, will be talking to the dead. And all the different ways people do it, all the different ways that uh, it has existed, and how we see it, and whatever we can. So we'll prepare our thoughts on that. So look forward to the talking dead episode which will be the next one and um, we will continue and have a mystery of the week and we will do another competition please contact us and chat with us and talk with us uh, you can find out more information on me at stuartpalm.com s-t-u-a-r-t-p-a-l-m.com that's palm like the palm of your hand you can also find uh, more information about future podcasts at um, what are we calling our website? Hold on a second. My, my brain just uh, reloaded. Mysteriousworldpodcast.com. Uh, Mysterious World Podcast on Facebook. Mysterious World Podcast at gmail.com, which Pablo just created. Thank you, Pablo, for doing that. Yeah, no problem. Um, you can also connect to me at Stuart Palm on Twitter. We're going to have to do a, one of those for the podcast as well eventually. Uh, and and yeah. what about you, Pablo? How can they get in contact with you? Well, I have my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Pablo Mira. I have also uh, Twitter, Pablo Mira, and Gmail as well, Pablo Mira at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any interesting topic about, we, uh, as a recommendation, I can receive it as well. 
and I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. Cool. And also, um, you can find out about Pablo's uh, Impossible Bottles. Why don't you tell them yeah, a little yeah. bit about that before yeah, we yeah. close, because I, I, I like those as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, as, as I said in the first uh, episode, I, a professional curious. I have a PhD in being curious. <laughs> and, <laughs> and some weeks ago, I start to learn and I start to develop some ideas in the concept of impossible bottles for those who have and that does not know what that means. Uh, it's an object that contains, well, it's a bottle that contains an object that it can't uh, be taken off, or, or if you want to look it in reverse, you can't put it on inside of the bottle. So there's a lot of lateral thinking in this, a lot of creativity, a lot of dedication, because sometimes things go wrong. <laughs> But at the end, you can get a beautiful end result. For example, you can place a deck of cards inside of a bottle. You can place um, a Rubik's Cube inside of a bottle. I, I put moments ago a pen, a marker pen with a atom mold inside of a bottle. I have various models and I am working in different concepts. And, and it's very interesting to have an object that is as, it has some mystery. Um, and elicit some curiosity for viewers. Sure. Uh, and how can they see your impossible bottles? I have a Facebook page uh, as well as a, a, a site, proper site. I, it's in Spanish, and the, the, the word is Botella Imposible. It's like impossible bottle, but in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And in Facebook as well, uh, facebook.com slash Botella Imposible. How do you spell that? B-O-T-E-L-L-A. I N P O S I B E B L E E. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do that part again. It's B O T E L L A I M P O S I B L E. B O T E L L A I M P O S I B L E. Yeah, that's um, right. After it, the fourth or fifth try, I, I can do it. <laughs> And we'll have other things to share in the future. Uh, uh, we create um, lots of stuff in, for mystery entertainers and about mystery. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything else we need to say before we sign off. But I think that pretty much covers it. We've got plenty to put into an hour of entertainment and interesting reflections on mystery for you all in this last couple hours we've been talking. So I hope you all enjoy that. And um, thanks for tuning in to Mysterious World. And we will see you next week. So look for the Mysterious World podcast, Mysterious World. Uh, towards the end of the week, each week, we're going to try to record these on Wednesdays. So that they go out around Fridays, probably. Um, and enjoy the mysteries in your own life. Pablo, you have any final things you want to say? Have a very good day and open your eyes because mysteries are everywhere. That they are. Thanks for listening. Bye. Good night. Work with you.